Hello, my name is Sean. I'm the pastor here at Grace Church. And uh, as I say every single week, and I'm really glad that you guys are, are here. Um, uh, very, very glad that you guys are here. We're in the second week of a series uh, called The Art of Neighboring. And I want to, um, I don't think I mentioned this last weekend, but the primary target for the teaching uh, last weekend, this weekend, and for the next two are, are the primary target. Not, not that uh, the, the, uh, uh, this isn't applicable to everybody uh, at some level, but when I say the things I'm, I'm going to say uh, today, I'm primarily saying them to people who claim to be Christians, uh, uh, who live, um, uh, I, I guess, who live in a house. That would be probably all of us or an apartment, some kind of a thing like that. But I'm, I'm, I, I guess I, I shouldn't have said that second part of the sentence. I just mean that if, if, you're, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, you're, you're the person I'm talking to now. If you're not religious, I, I think that there are some things uh, that, that will be ta talked about this weekend that will be beneficial to you, uh, but I don't want you to think I'm talking at you. Uh, so pick and choose those things that you feel are, are helpful to you and, and apply them because I, I think some of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, today uh, will help you. Even, even if you weren't Christian, you know what I mean? Like, like because I, I believe God is real, he knows how life works. The things he says uh, work, whether, you're, whether you believe in him or not, because he's the one that designed uh, our lives. He, know, he knows how they, how they work best. Um, last week, we talked about uh, the conversation that Jesus had gotten into with some guys who were trying to make him look like an idiot in front of a crowd of people. Uh, they were picking at him, trying to get him to, to say something uh, on accident that he didn't really mean, kind of like the stuff that we're going to be watching uh, uh, on, on TV, uh, in the news over the next, what, like 18 more months before the next election. Uh, reporters are constantly trying to get politicians that they don't like to say things that they don't truly mean, or they try to get them to say things they could twist. And the same thing, that's been going on for thousands of years. Uh, that was the environment in which Jesus was asked last week, what's the most important law? of God, um, which was kind of a tricky question because there's over 600 laws that the Jews had to follow. And if Jesus didn't answer the question right, if he had just said, this is the most important law, then what they were hoping they could do is, so you're saying that the other 599 are not as important. And we talked about the way that Jesus answered that question in such a crafty way. Uh, and, and so what he basically did was he boiled down, and instead of saying this law is over all other laws, he says all of the laws come from this main law. Oh, and this one, which is its buddy. It's kind of like the right and left hand of all the law and the prophets. He said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors like you love yourself. And then he said, all of the rest of the whole Bible comes from those two things. So in answering it that way, he got to say which were the most important for them to focus on without demeaning the rest of them because he just basically said that all of the rest of them are just unpacking what those first two looked like. And so there's 800,000 words in the whole Bible and Jesus boils them down into 23 words. Like if you throw me a, a, a bag of ping pong balls, I'm gonna drop all the ping pong balls. You throw me one or two, I can probably hang on to one or two. Does that make sense? So Jesus, he gets it really, he gives it to us in two ping pong balls. Here you go. You can catch these two right here. Ready? Love God with everything you are, everything you've got, and love your neighbors yourself. Then the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? 
wanting to justify his own selfishness. And so we unpacked that a little bit last week. And then you guys got to talk about that even more in your life groups uh, over the past uh, six, six days. So I'm not going to get into that whole uh, teaching. Uh, but the idea of loving our neighbors is what we're talking about in this series. And I think sometimes we make it more complicated than what it actually is. I think we're afraid um, like out, you've ever had a religious person live next door to you, uh, some religious people can be very annoying. Uh, I know that when I sit on the tee, probably shouldn't say this as a pastor, but I don't like it when Christians get on the tee and they get all Christian-y on everybody in the train. That makes me very uncomfortable. Like I'm a preacher and I will scoot away from them, right? Uh, because they're not... <laughs> we. I think it's insensitive sometimes. I mean, the truth is there might be one person out of a hundred who's already thinking about spiritual things and in their heart, they're just going, somebody just tell me who God is. But for the most part, people aren't really, you know, thinking about it right now while they're on the train uh, on their way into the city. And so it probably would be more effective if you were to have a conversation and see if they were to bring it up or, you know what I mean? Um, But I I don't want to we just make it more difficult than what it actually is. So sometimes we're, we're never nice to our neighbors at all or we get really weird about being nice to our neighbors. We think that if I'm going to love my neighbor, that means I have to be like a preacher to him and it's not like, not like that at all. I don't think it, 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 it looks like that. My son Garrett, when we first moved onto, the street, on, onto Seaver Street in Stoughton, uh, and then we were there for a year, and then the Middletons moved in a year later across the street, and they had two boys. Uh, one boy was a year older than Garrett, and their younger son is exactly Garrett's age, and they were on our trampoline in the backyard. And Garrett comes running into the house. This, uh, it's, a, it's a summer day, and he comes running in. He says, Mom and Dad, guess what? And we're like, what? And he said, uh, Marcus and Calvin, I made them Christians. And I'm like, holy crap, what did you do? Like, as a dad, I was like, ah! Like, what in the world did you say to these guys? I said, oh, oh, that, that's not, tell us what happened. Every, like, we're asking all kinds of, he said, we're just jumping on the trampoline. I asked him if they were Christians, and they said no, and I told them they were going to hell. And I said, you said what? And then I just said, do you guys want to go to hell? And they said, no. What eight-year-old does want to go to hell? <laughs> right? So they said, no. He said, then you guys need to ask Jesus to forgive all your sins and, and, and come into your heart. And, and so I, we were like, and then what happened? And we're like, oh, no, we're getting a phone call tonight from Calvin and from Glenn and Cal- or from Marcus and Calvin's uh, parents. And, you know, that went really great. And they went over to some other neighbor's house. And uh, we didn't know this. We were just like, okay, that's nice. Go back outside and play. And we're like, what's going to happen now? And we're like, I don't know. Everybody's going to hate us on our street. And uh, he came running in the house about 30 minutes later crying this time. We're like, what's the matter, bud? He said, well, I went to our other neighbor's. And I asked him if they were Christians. Like, what they say? He said, I saw I told them. They said no. So I told them they were going to hell. And we're like, what? Like, how do you, like, I know where this is coming from. This is coming from a deep-seated love of God and excitement to share his, because he had just committed to faith himself 
a newfound excitement because it wasn't just mommy and daddy's thing anymore. Like he was really into God. And as parents, we love this. And, but we're just like, whoa, slow down. There's a speed limit in our neighborhood that you're not abiding by. You're driving, slow down, right? Uh, and they said, no. I told them we, they were going to hell. And so they said, we're going to ask our mommy. And they walked in and told their mom what Garrett had said and come back out and said, our mom says you're stupid. <laughs> right? And so uh, he came back in and uh, uh, he was, you know, he's, he's bawling and, and uh, it, it all turned out all right. I'm just, it, it doesn't have to look like that. I, I think that it's uh, far too common for us to uh, pretty much think about loving our neighbors as like our neighbors are, like people in need. Our neighbors are people, you know, of humanity who are suffering. And so we don't make it personal to anybody. So we keep our neighbors to some nameless, faceless, generic category of person. And as long as we keep it generic and faceless and nameless like that, uh, loving our neighbor never actually makes a difference to the people who are actually our neighbors. So we talked about what, uh, the whole idea behind this series is what if when Jesus said to love your neighbors, he actually meant your neighbor, neighbor. So last week in your communication card, uh, I gave every one of you guys one of these and I asked you if you would hang on to it for the week. And the idea was just to um, not walk out, to walk over to your neighbor's house, show them this card and ask them to fill in information. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. The idea was just to write down the names of your neighbors and then where you couldn't fill in a name, the idea was that you would look for an opportunity to just talk to a neighbor and get their name. Something really casual. Nothing like, are you a Christian? No, you're going to hell. Nothing like that at all. Just being like a normal person who actually cares about their neighbors. Have a Because truly, you can't love somebody you don't know. And if you don't love, if you don't even know their name, then how are you even going to show them the compassion, kindness? You know what I mean? I mean, loving your neighbor takes two things, compassion and flexibility. And I really don't know which is more important than the other. But it probably starts with a, hey, what's up? What's your name? I got it last year when you guys moved in, but I forgot. Sorry about that. Cool. Nice to meet you. I, I don't, I don't, whatever it would look like for, for, for you guys. Um, so I wanted to ask how you guys did this past week. Some of you guys may have left the service all excited. All right. All right. I'm looking for an opportunity until your week got crazy and then you forgot about it. And now you're realizing you forgot to bring this back and have no idea where it is. Right. Or some of you guys uh, walked in tonight feeling guilty because you lost the card and, and didn't have a single conversation with, with any of your neighbors. Uh, this week was nuts for me. Uh, this week was, uh, I was able to be less of a good neighbor than any other week I think we've had so far this summer. And, and maybe it's a coincidence that it happened the same week that I asked you guys to be a good neighbor to your actual neighbor neighbors. Uh, but I was not a good neighbor. I mean, I'd, uh, I only egged a couple of their houses and stabbed a couple of tires, but I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying, so when I say not a good neighbor, I don't mean I was rude or mean. I'm just saying I wasn't able to fill in the, the, the Portuguese uh, couple uh, catty, corner, catty corner across the street like I told you guys I wanted to do, or the lady who hates my dog. 
So I, I know all, all of everybody else, but uh, I, I don't know the, the, the dog hater lady yet or the Portuguese people's names. So that's, that, that's, I'm rolling over that assignment for me into next week. Uh, this week, though, we're starting a first of two uh, talking about the two biggest reasons why you will struggle loving your neighbor. Uh, the two biggest reasons why you'll have a hard time with this is, is time. We don't have enough time. How many of you guys struggle with that? Raise your hand. Time. It's a big deal. It's hard to get to know your neighbors when, when uh, you come home from work and, and you got to get meals ready. You got to get kids bathed. Uh, they got to do summer reading stuff or they're in extracurricular activities or you've got assignments for work that you weren't able to get done that you had to bring home. Uh, and by the time you get a little bit of free time, it's 9 or 9.30, and you're definitely not going to go walk to your neighbor's house after dark and knock on the door and say, hey, I don't know you. Just thought I'd get your name real quick before I went to bed. <laughs> that would be weird, right? So, uh, so if time is your problem, raise your hand. Raise your hand if time is a problem. The second biggest barrier, I think, to us loving our neighbors is fear. We're afraid of what they're going to think about us, or we're afraid of getting to know them because they're, they're sketchy. Uh, so how many of you guys would say uh, fear is definitely, that's a factor. Being nervous about you, nervousness kind of a deal, that's, that's the barrier for you. So today we're talking about time, next week we're talking about, talking about fear. Uh, if you would, go in your Bible to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, the first part of the chapter, has one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's about two naked, demon-possessed guys who come running out of a cemetery, screaming at Jesus, intending to kick him and the 13, uh, 12 disciples' butts. Uh, it's, it's an awesome story. It's in Matthew 8, Mark 5, and Luke 8. Read it sometime. Uh, I taught on it. Uh, I think sometime last summer. Right after that, though, Jesus gets back into a boat and heads back over to Capernaum, which is where he lived primarily as an adult after leaving uh, his hometown of Nazareth, where Mary and uh, his other half-brothers and sisters lived. Uh, and it was in Capernaum, when he got off the boat, that one of the um, leaders of the local synagogue uh, comes running up to the shore because, you know, word, everywhere Jesus went, word spread because Jesus made a tangible difference in the lives of everybody. So he would meet people's physical needs and then he would teach them spiritually. So he was kind of like a, uh, I, I call it like the right and the left hand, right and left hand of the gospel. It's meeting people's needs and then sharing them what God has done uh, on, on our behalf to rescue us from what separates us from him, which is the wrong things that we've done. Our disobedience to God and our selfishness towards our fellow man. So wherever Jesus went, he attracted large crowds. And, and so when word spread to Jairus uh, that, that Jesus had gotten back into Capernaum, he runs down to the beach and tells Jesus, you've got to come to my house really quick. My daughter's about to die. And if you get there before she dies, I know that you can heal her and make her well. So there's a huge crowd and Jesus is making his way through Capernaum. And uh, it, it's just tight. I mean, if you guys have ever tried to leave uh, Gillette Stadium after uh, a football game, or if you've ever tried to leave the garden or get into the garden, holy cow, everybody's going up one stinking escalator in the garden is what it feels like to me. When you, at least at, the, at Gillette Stadium, there's multiple ways to get into the building. Uh, at the garden, it feels like there's only one door that everybody's 
trying to fight to get into. And then now that they wand everybody and go through our bags, it's a throng of people. And, and like you're getting, it's like being on the subway. It's like being on the T uh, after, after uh, uh, work or uh, on a night when they're, when they're playing a home game uh, for the Red Sox over at Fenway Park. My wife and I had been here about a month and Billy Jane and I were just exploring the city. And uh, we did not know that there was a home baseball game at Fenway Park and we were on the green line. And we were standing right next to each other uh, at Park Street. Uh, and then like each time we stopped somewhere else, we kept getting, I thought the train was full, but apparently nobody else thought the train was full. There'd be people who'd reach in, grab the bar, and then just yank themselves in, right? How many of you guys, have, you, we've all experienced that. So my wife and I are only about, like I could reach over and I could probably tap her on the shoulder, but there were like five people in between us. And there was a drunk dude behind her. Now she's holding on to the pole for dear life. And Billy Jane's got a very, very well-defined personal bubble, right? A force field around her. And uh, this drunk guy stands in behind her and then just reaches over her shoulder and grabs the pole. And you know, we're rocking like this and he's drunk and I, it's at the end of the day. I don't know, maybe he ran a marathon. I say he's tired. Like, I don't what's a drunk dude doing falling asleep at five o'clock in the afternoon? I have no idea. Um, but the dude just, the drunk dude just lays his head on her shoulder and falls asleep. And Billy Jane's, it's like the fourth best day of my life. It was not the, you know, I married three kids. That's number four. That's number four. That, that day was, it was that kind of a moment in the life of Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 24. Jesus goes with Jairus and all the people followed crowding around him. And there was a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Now, uh, because she suffered with an issue of blood, uh, 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 I have no idea what kind of diseases are, and we have a few doctors at Grace who maybe you've, you've got a theory on that, but in any case, what I do know is that uh, there was a time every month where uh, they were unclean and they had to wait for a period of time, and then there was a ritual where they would go through a purification ceremony and they could, uh, th then, then that was taken care of, and I'm trying to be delicate here, uh, but this woman had had this constant problem for 12 years, which meant that she was ceremonially unclean and technically was not even allowed to be in the crowd that day. So she was hiding her physical ailment, had heard Jesus was there and wanted to be blessed. Now, Jesus wasn't there, wasn't on his way to find her. Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is dying. I mean, she's not like sick to the, like she is actually dying. Like the light is fading, the clock is ticking down. Jesus is on his way to get there before uh, the clock goes to zero and the buzzer goes off. This woman is in the crowd, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal for many, for many, from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd only gotten worse. Uh, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, sneaking up behind him so she wouldn't be seen probably, and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately when she did, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this horrible condition. 
Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? <laughs> Can you imagine being on the green line heading towards Fenway Park half hour before the game starts and saying, turning around and saying, who touched me? Bro, we'd all, we go, we all did, shut up. Like, we're not supposed to look each other in the eye right now, and you're definitely not supposed to be talking to us. Keep your eyes down or out the window or on the back of the head of the guy in front of you, right? I mean, who touched you? It's this gigantic crowd. Like, like all the hands could have gone up. We've all touched you. How do you think this woman felt? Now, she's not supposed to be in the crowd anyway. She reaches through. She touches the hem of his garment, right? The edge of his robe. And she's healed, and she's just wanting to get her butt out of there as quick as possible. And now Jesus got to make a big deal out of it, right? Jesus stops. Who touched me? His disciples said in verse 31, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched you? Bro, everybody's touching you. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. What was Jairus doing during this time? Do you think he wanted to be interrupted by this, yes or no? Like if he's, listen, if I got Jesus to come and heal my daughter, Lauren, and I know she's dying any minute, I'm not just walking next to him. I'm holding on to his hand, his wrist, his elbow. I'm dragging him through the crowd. I'm playing security, right? I'm running like the snowplow on front of the truck. I've got, I'm like, I'm elbowing. I'm, I'm like a fullback, and he's the running back. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I knock the big guys out of the way so the main guy can get through. That's what I'm doing, right? I'm playing fullback right here for Jesus, and all of a sudden, he stops at the line of scrimmage. There's only so long I can hold off these linebackers before you get clobbered and my daughter dies. Did Jesus know this, yes or no? Did Jesus know the anxiety this was creating in all of the people around him, yes or no? So why did he stop? Why'd he stop? To be a blessing to somebody who wasn't even a part of the agenda for the day. She wasn't on the schedule. If Jesus had an admin assistant, her name had not gotten written down. Right? But it didn't matter. Jesus knew that if he were to take just a couple of extra minutes that he didn't have, but that he needed to give, he could make a tangible forever difference in the life of somebody who needed somebody to love them. Right? So that's what he does. Verse 33. I said he looked around the finder. That's verse 32. He's looking around. Where's she at? Where's she at? Like he's stopping. Jairus and all the disciples are freaking out. Dude, we don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. It's turning yellow, dude. We got to go. We got, now we got to wait on the red light again. Right? Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told her what she had done. Expecting what? Yeah. I don't, yeah being gotten onto. I mean, she's terrified. She's been called out in front of everybody. She wasn't supposed to be here in the crowd in the first place, and then she didn't get permission 
to be healed. Other people had asked, would you be? She, she presumed on him, right? I mean, that'd be like, like the president getting out to get like a hamburger at his favorite place in DC and you just running up to him and shaking his hand whether he was looking at you or not. Bro, you're about to get your butt stomped on, right? And then, and then get called out. That's what she's expecting to happen. Here's what he says instead. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And I love that. He was willing to be sidetracked because he knew if he made time for something he truly didn't have time for, he could make a bigger difference than what anybody was expecting he'd make that day. What does this look like for you? For you to love your neighbors the way Jesus loved your neighbors. What does this look like? To be willing to be sidetracked. You know what this might mean? It might mean that walking from your house or your apartment to your car isn't just about getting to your car. Maybe that's what it means. Maybe that a trip to the curb with your trash cans isn't just about getting rid of your rubbish. Maybe you're allowing for the opportunity to connect with another neighbor who's taking their trash out. Right? Not in any weird, are you a Christian? No, you're going to hell kind of a way. Like a, hey, what's up? Right? How, I mean, I got, I, I've, got things, I've, I've got things in common with some of my neighbors. So I know, like I know how I would talk to my neighbor across the street. He has a handicapped granddaughter who has cerebral palsy that used to jump on our trampoline. I don't even know these people and they used to jump on our trampoline, which was, that's why we got our trampoline. We saw them about six years ago walking by his, his daughter, her husband, and their handicapped daughter. Our kids were on the trampoline and we invited their handicapped daughter and, hey, do you think she would like to get on the trampoline? That's what it looked like to love our neighbor. Then our trampoline fell apart and we never talked to them again. We got a trampoline again on Thursday. So maybe, I'll, like I know what I would say now. Hey, by the way, and I remember her name. The granddaughter's name is Julia. Hey, when is Julia coming back? Do you think that could start maybe a conversation? Maybe or maybe not. Oh, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to see them this summer because they're doing some traveling and they decided to stay home. And then he turns around, awesome, you guys have a great time. Tell them we said hi. And that doesn't have to be weird at all. But that's what it might look like to pause, to give some time I don't have to make a difference I wasn't planning on making. But that's what it would look like to follow Jesus. What would it look like for you? That mowing your grass might take twice as long because you don't only mow your grass. You see your neighbor out there tinkering with his lawnmower, and so you offer to mow his front. He'll say, he'll say no, of course he'll say no. But you're like, dude, I don't care, I've got nothing to do today, which might be a lie, and I think Jesus would let you lie over that one right there. Maybe not, I don't know. Oh, I got time, even when you don't possibly, I don't know. Because you got the time to make a difference is what you're thinking. So then it's not a lie, right? And then I know what he would do. He'd offer you a beer because he would feel bad or a soda or something like that. And it'd turn into a little mini conversation that would never happen if you didn't take the initiative to go mow their grass too. Here's the thing. 
You can't love your neighbor without flexibility. So the truth is, if you're going to live, love, give, and serve the way Jesus lived, love, gave, and served, you've got to be more flexible with your time. But you already feel overwhelmed. So do I. We already don't take breaks like we should. We already don't rest and take a Sabbath like we should, a full day off like we should. But the problem has more to do with the choices that we're making than the time that we actually have. We tell ourselves three lies. The first lie that we say is, it'll get better someday. Eventually, my life will settle down. How long have you been saying that one? Is that true, yes or no? No, it's not true. It doesn't matter how many time-saving inventions they make, we'll take that saved time and then we'll give it to something else to keep us busy. True? That's the first lie. The second lie is this. More will be enough. I stay busy because I need to make more, do more, and be more. And if I make more, I'd be happy. If I could do more, I'd be happy. If I had more, I'd be happy. If I could be more, I'd be happy. Go back just five years ago and tell yourself then what you're making now. Ten years ago. Tell yourself then what you're making now. What would your then person say to your now person? Oh my word, that's so much money! <laughs> Bro, I bet we're all set in the future, aren't we? Right? But it's not enough. Everybody wants to make how much more, how much more money? One more dollar. One more dollar. One more. Does anybody, Donald Trump said this past week he's worth $10 billion. Is he done making money, yes or no? 10 billion ain't enough. Bro, I, I, would, I would take a second's worth of your time in cash right now. Right? Wouldn't you? I would. That'd be enough till I had it. And then I want another second of his time in cash. It's, it's never enough. The third lie is that everyone lives like this. This is, this is the new normal. And it's not. Believe it or not, there are people who've made very tough choices to live very balanced and healthy lives. And you could too, if you were to make different choices. So I'm gonna give you four action steps and we're gonna wrap it up. The first action step is this, determine what is most important. That's what you need to do. Write down what's most important in your life. Nobody lives on accident anymore. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says this, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of our life so that we may grow in wisdom. Listen, if you knew you had one year left to live, you would live the next 12 months different. Yes or no? You would. That's why the writer of the scripture says that. Teach us how short our lives really are so that we can make wiser choices. You know what I think a successful life is? It's not spending the last 20 years of my life collecting seashells in Belize. Can, I don't know why I chose Belize. I would like to go there. I should have picked somewhere pretty that I actually know. That could be horrible, but I've heard it's nice. Can you imagine if God let me or let you retire early? 
and you stood before God and God said, I let you retire younger than anybody else in your graduating class. What did you do with the last 30 years of your life? For my glory and the good of others. And the best you could come up with was, I got this nice bucket of seashells. <laughs> That's a wasted life. Yes? You know how to live an amazing life? Get to the end of your life and look back on it and say, I spent it well. I guarantee you it'll have nothing to do with the square footage of your home. It'll have absolutely nothing to do with it. It'll have more to do with the names of the people who'll be at your funeral. Right? Than the number on your bank statement. Make your priorities. Make your choices based around the priorities you say are actually a priority. The truth is you make time for what you want. You have time to work out. It's just you don't want to work out. Because you have time to watch that, to, to do your binge watching of Lost or The Office or Breaking Bad. We make time for what we want. Yes or no? If we wanted to love our neighbors, we would make time to love our neighbors. If we wanted to spend quality time with our kids, we would spend quality time with our kids. If we wanted to spend more time with our spouse, we would. We just don't want that as much as we want this. Number one, determine what is most important. Number two, live intentionally according to what you said was most important. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37, verse 23 says this. The Lord directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of their lives. I'm to live intentionally. I'm to order my steps and I'm to plan it in details so that I don't waste any of it. There's another passage. I've thought of several other passages of scripture I could read. Redeeming the time because the days are, are short and, and evil. Make, make good. Scripture talk, talks a lot about our stewardship of time and how we are to make better choices in what we do with it. That we are to live intentionally according to the priorities we say are most important. But we don't because we haven't taken hold of the time. We haven't taken hold of, number one, our leisure time. I think we'd all be embarrassed if everybody else in this room could see how much time we spend watching TV, playing games on our phone, video games, surfing the internet, or on Facebook. We say we have no time, but if there was a timer on those things, I was going to say, how many of you would be embarrassed by that number? But I don't want you to raise my, your hand because I'd have to raise mine. So I pretend I didn't raise my hand. Right? John Ortberg says this, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time. And time is the one thing hurried people don't have. You could find more time if you cut out more junk. That's just true. We make time for junk time. Let's get some of that back. If you know there's a period of time each day or each week where you waste it, grab 30 minutes of that time 
and use that to sit on your front porch and just make yourself available to your neighbors. Most of the cool conversations I've had with my neighbors is because I was already in the yard when they happened to be in their yard and then we became friends. If you're never in your yard, this can't happen. So plan to do nothing but sit on your front porch for 30 minutes a week. Just carve out a little bit of time to make yourself a little bit available to a couple of neighbors. Number three action step, eliminate the time thieves. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 and 16 says this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Colossians chapter four, verse five and six. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity you have. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone around you. Michelangelo famously said that he didn't create the statue of David. The statue of David was already in the block of marble. He just cut out everything else in the way. You have the time to love your neighbor you just have to cut out everything else that's in the way. You have the time to put your spouse first. You have the time to spend time with God. You have the time to spend quality time with your children. You have the time to be a good neighbor. You have to cut out all of the other things that are in the way to put first what you've already said probably is first or should be first. And the fourth thing is that you have to be interruptible. Number one is this. You've got to determine what is most important. Number two, you've got to live intentionally. Number three, you've got to eliminate the things in the way. And number four, you've got to allow yourself to be interruptible. There's a story of Jesus walking through town on his way to temple. And there's a blind man who says, have mercy on us, son of... Actually, there's two blind men. Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy... And the Bible says... They follow Jesus from one side of the town, the city, all the way through town. There's a throng of people again, this crowd bustling around Jesus. All the way through town, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. All the way. And people in the crowd are saying, shut up, shut up. Read it. The Bible says that people were trying to, they were telling them to be quiet. The master doesn't have time for you. I don't know why he waits for so long because he gets to the other side of the city and he stops and he calls for these guys to be brought to the front of the crowd and he says, what do you guys want? To be healed of our blindness. Okay, they're blind. What do you think they wanted? Like I just, <laughs> I, I would have just like, I think Jesus had sarcastic humor because he's sarcastic so many times in the Bible. These guys are obviously blind. They got patches, or you can, you've seen somebody's eyes that were blind and you didn't have to ask, Jesus, heal me. What do you want to be healed from? Bro, I'm on crutches. What do you think I want to be healed from? I don't, I don't know why he asked it, but my point is, is wherever he was going and whatever he was going to do, there's many times the widow of Nain, he allows himself to be interrupted. The story of the woman of the well would have never happened if Jesus was in a hurry, but because she had com committed to faith, 
he stays in that town, Sychar, two more days. He allowed his schedule to be interrupted because he knew what was most important was not his schedule, it was people. And truthfully, you making it to the grocery store before they close to save an extra dollar, when if you don't get there before 9 o'clock, you've got to go to Walgreens and pay an extra dollar for the milk. The extra dollar, paying the extra dollar is okay if it meant that you got to spend an extra 10 minutes with your neighbor. What's more important, your schedule or your neighbor's? You see what I'm saying? Making an extra buck or your kids. We have time to live meaningful, Jesus-centered, others-loving and generous lives. We're just chasing the wrong things. We need to quit using people to make money and start using resources to bless people. We're living with upside-down values. And by looking at Jesus, we can see that that's not the best way to live our lives. And we can live differently if we want to. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Let's wrap up by spending some time in prayer. If you would, bow your head. And I'm going to ask you to talk to God, make your own prayer in your heart, silently and quietly. Ask God to show you where your priorities are out of line. Would you do that? You pray silently. If you want or don't, it's okay. God, show me where my life is out of balance. Show me the things that I've made more important than what they should be. Show me the people in my life that I've made unimportant who should be more important. Show me where I'm wasting time, wasting money, wasting and help me to make a choice to get a little bit of that back and to use it for something a little bit different. God, help me to intentionally allow myself to be interrupted this week. Allow me to be a little bit okay with not getting everything done I wanted to get done because I got done something you intended me to get done instead. God, help us to stop saying how much we love our neighbors and start showing them how much we love them. And God, help us to make the adjustments that are necessary to make that happen. Thank you for making us a priority. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovely. Thank you for doing what was necessary to make us right with you. In light of that, Help us to give to others what they have not given to us. Help us to do for others what they have not done for us. And help us to show love to others that has not been shown to us. And let this start with the people who live closest to us. In your great name, Jesus, we ask this for your glory, for their good, and for our own happiness' sake. We pray. Amen.